I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. You're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Repeticulture Network. glaze oh the glistening dust of doritos my my mic stand is not cooperating right now there my my brother attended a seminar for some corporate programmers thing and i guess there was people there from one of the big dorito or chip company lays whatever and they were saying how they know how to make doritos and uh cheetos and all these like dusty chips they know how to make it taste exactly the same without the dust and they put the dust in on purpose because they say it's quote unquote part of the experience fuck that <laughs> how many car yeah, wrecks they caused because of that dust yeah, exactly how many, how many, how many lives have, how many yeah, millions could have been saved right exactly how many millions of bacteria have i consumed regrettably licking my fingers with those freaking dust very audibly Audio. Yes, <laughs> erotic smacking. Erotic. Like we we had the same conversation not that long ago because I also said the little green and red flecks on Cool Ranch Doritos don't actually have any flavor. They're just there for yeah flavor. aesthetics. Yeah I aesthetics. So I want my chips to be dressed for Christmas. I'll find something else. I'll get those tortilla chips that are red and green. Scoops, man. <laughs> Tostitos scoops. I can't live without them. Oh. The the, dude, the, the whole grain ones are awesome. You can keep your whole grain, pal. Dude, no, I got to grow a figure to worry about. Are amazing, so much better. Well, Snakes and Stokies episode one thirty-seven. Here we are. It's brought to you by Black Box Cages. Damn! Oh my why, god! Why is Nathaniel in the middle? This is weird. Blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I finally have my XT4 together. My light bulbs come tomorrow, and the Ackies are going to be going in here soon. So they're going to have so much space, they're not going to know what to do with it. I like it. It might even freak them out. I may not see them for like weeks, but as long as they're happy. That's what it's about, baby. That's what it's about. Uh, yeah, you know, did a, an assembly video and stuff, and uh, that's going on the Black Box YouTube channel, which they do have. You should check it out. Uh, and then I have another video on setting up the lights and fixtures and things like that. Uh, that still has to be edited and sent over to Jen. And then I'm going to have one here on this channel that just shows like the setting up with the decor and whatnot and the typical pet tuber bullshit. So. See my scale, babies. Uh, And then Puget Sound Pythons. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Good people. The Gendra. We love them. Um, They're family. Yeah, you. I mean, you asked why Nathaniel is in the middle, and it's like, why wouldn't he be? I don't know. Because he is our cream filling. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just be real. That's That's not where I was going with that, but... That's where I was hoping you'd go with that. Oh, okay. There you go. Asking you shall receive. Love it. What are you smoking tonight, Phil? Tonight, I felt like it's something a little mild, so we're going with the Gurkha Beauty. That sucks. 
What do you mean it sucks? I enjoy it. This is uh this is the like one of the Damn, only light sorry. light smokes that I uh enjoy. It's a good ring gauge, it's got a good color to it, a pleasant aroma. Sure. Yeah, I crown cut it. Look at that. Look at that. It's like one of the worms in Dune. <laughs> what about Ooh. you? Uh I'm going the opposite. I'm going strong. Fuzz on your peaches, Jaime Garcia. But this is like some new size that I noticed we that that we got in. It's like a six by not even a six, probably a five by like sixty-two or something. So it's already a really strong blend. This used to be one of my favorites, and then I noticed when I smoked them, there was a few that just tasted really off, and so I kind of didn't come back to them. But I smoked a Toro earlier after work, and it was phenomenal. So. I grab one of these, and then I have a, a my father Cedrus on deck. Oh, nice for for round two. But I just I don't know, man. These Jaime's, you want something strong, something that's gonna like really kick you in the throat. These are it, and I love it. Yeah. Nice, excellent. Keller's here. Henry's here. Billy Jenkins. Billy Billy Jenkins. Roberto. Damn Billy Jenkins. Uh, this is our Attract Aspis Extravaganzas. Yes. I think I'm only here because I got fucking bitten by one. You could have had Mike Clarkson on here. No, I no, no, we, no, 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 no. We've tried. Like we've we've tried to pin down Mike. He's a hard man to, to pin down, but not even just to talk about like his his you know experience with that. Yeah. And honestly, I completely forgot that you had even been tapped by one too. So Yeah, that's but, I mean pure we you're pure you're the only guy. You're the only guy we know that actually keeps them, you know, re- consecutively. And I'm envious and want to learn as much as I can. Yeah, so. I was like, we want to. I like we talked about stiletto snakes a lot, and I was like, we should do an episode. And I was like, who actually keeps those things besides Phil? And I was like, the only other person I could think of that would actually have some in any sort of like substantial number and time frame would be you. Yeah. And I was like, hey, it's short notice. You want to come on talk stilettos? And I was, I was like, yeah, sure. So. Here we are. Yeah. I'll, always, I'll always talk about those little fucks. <laughs> Dude. It's, he, it's, I, it's I, amazing. I went through a mamba bite and, and I'll I'll take a mamba over a fucking stiletto snake bite any day of the week. You hear that, children? Learn from that. Oh. Well, for those of you who are unaware, we're joined by Nathaniel from M Toxins Laboratories. Thank you for coming on the show, my good friend. Of course. Happy to be here. Happy to have you, man. Overdue. Well, you did you did a THP episode, you did right? THP, but it's been yeah. like three years, I think, or something yeah. like that. Been yeah, it's been quite a while. Yeah. Well then we should do the uh uh we should do like the brief synopsis, get to know your guests kind of thing. And why don't you tell us about M Toxins and go from there? Sure. So we're a high-volume venom production facility located in northern Wisconsin, and uh, we uh, produce most of the venoms for uh, the African uh, antivenoms, as well as uh, we do the Monaco Cobra antivenom, the King Cobra antivenoms um, that are made out of India, and we do stuff for Central and South America. Um, So we don't do anything North American. Um, we also are one of only two labs that do snakes and invertebrates. 
So we do uh, the Scorpion antivenoms for Inasan um, and for Vins Biopharma. Um, and uh, aside from that, we do tarantulas and centipedes and all kinds of stuff for evolutionary research. So we extract a lot of venom. Um, and awesome. uh, we, we also have a huge uh, educational center in Serpentarium um, located at our facility. So uh, people get to come in and learn about all kinds of different animals that I've worked with through the years, like owls and eagles and, you know, possums and raccoons and all kinds of crazy shit uh, that we bring in for kids uh, for education. So with the uh, the scorpions that you guys are, are using for that, is that pretty much Androconus and Lyurius? Correct. You guys are focused on? Yeah. Correct. Yep, all the big, you know, the bicolor, uh, the Amorexi, the Australis, uh, and then, of course, the Deathstalker. Um, those are the big ones. I do love me some bicolors. Yeah, they're terrible little beasts. <laughs> and yeah, to, like, they're just, to put they're a, just little tanks, man. They are little tanks, but what sucks is, so it takes, to make a gram of their venom takes about 21,000 drops. Um, to get a gram of dry weight of venom. So they actually produce, you know, they're super toxic, but they produce so little that I basically want to swallow a uh, bullet, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but but it's for a good cause. So we put up with the bullshit. I mean, surely, yeah, if you're doing anti-venom for bicolor, then I guess people are getting stung by them pretty regularly. Yeah, correct. Wow, that's incredible! All the androgynous I've kept, I love. They were they were really fun. Yeah, hands down. I mean, with with the exception of Parabuthus, I think they're they're definitely my favorite genus, hands down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I really like the looks of the Australis and stuff like that. They're they're cool looking scorpions, but yeah, to put it as their little tanks, that's that's the best way I've ever heard it put. So, just ballpark, how many? you know, booth at eye, do you have on site mm. ballpark 600, six to 700. That's a lot of and bugs. If, if our quotas went ridiculous, we could have to have upwards of 20,000. Um, so we actually have additional production space uh, actually in our basement that uh we can expand into if we have to but uh with 600 you could you could reproduce enough broods i think to hit that mark in no time yeah 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 dude that's that like everyone talks about how it's painstaking to maintain and feed snakes and racks especially when you're doing high volume like you guys but i can't imagine having 600 or a thousand deli cups with one bug each like that's just wild man well what's fun is like it's typically an intern job you know it's you know the interns will do it and they're my uh lab manager jacob swales he kind of oversees it and makes sure that everybody's getting fed and everybody's getting handled so he he pretty much manages the lab for me um as far as feedings and shit like that go because as one person, it's impossible. You know, we have 600 snakes, 600 invertebrates. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous to try to do alone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, not to mention you have all the logistics stuff in terms of equipment and shipping stuff out and receiving goods and the public coming in and doing presentations for them and handling the public and it's a hell of an operation man yeah it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of screwing around but i'll tell you something in it it sounds a little uh it sounds a little wussy but the looks on those kids faces man watching venom extractions and getting to hold even the ball pythons and the boas that we bring out and stuff for people to hold and interact with our big berms you know it makes it worth it to deal with the public you know that's awesome so that's fantastic so you guys and you guys are open how many days a week to the public we're only open three days a week to the public the uh friday saturday sunday but we do all our school groups and cub scout troops and all that kind of stuff during the week so we don't have regular hours we just take care of all those groups uh during that time that's great man that's great especially like you get like a a boy scout group or some kind of extracurricular club that comes in i feel like it's more they get like the vip treatment you know what i mean yeah oh for sure for sure yeah Yeah, we you know we walk them through what cracks me up is we do a lot of stuff with like the schools of veterinary medicine and stuff like that and uh they love the same program that the kids do, you know, hold a tarantula, <laughs> feed a sulcata tortoise, you know, they absolutely go crazy over that stuff. And it, and it, you know, a lot of them want to be exotic vets. So for them, it's, it's just cool to interact with something besides a dog or a cat, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome. Just big kids. <laughs> exactly. Big kids who love animals. That's great, man. That's great. So is you there, know, no, uh, one, no one asked what I'm smoking. Yeah, I mean, oh, well, what are you a little, I'm a little well, offended. Well, we can't see you, brother. Like, well, sorry. What, what, what adult well, vices are you partaking in this evening? Uh, this evening, I'm drinking a fine uh, Wisconsin-made. You guys can't get it outside of the state. Um, not this type. Leinenkugel's uh, German beer. Oh. And and a delicious uh, pack of light blue American spirits. Um, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I An aristocrat. Before they were, I smoked them before they were a hipster cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> you smoked them when they were four dollars a pack, and that was <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, anything new in terms of projects since we had you on last. Um... Well, actually, funny enough, I mean, we're doing a lot more with stiletto snakes. Um, the the new anti-venom from, this is actually pretty cool, the new anti-venom from Inasan uh, for Africa, um, the Pan-African version, um, actually now neutralizes stiletto snake bites. Really? Um, yes. <clears throat> so there actually is a serum now uh, for stilettos. And, so now, um, and that's the lifelized Inasan, the like you said, Pan African that covers. That's not the Mena, that's the that's no, the Sub-Saharan stuff. That's the Sub-Saharan. Yep. Okay, okay. And right. uh, and that, yeah, it's now part of the mix and fully neutralizes it. So we're hoping it saves some fingers and thumbs, yeah. you know, um, for sure. But uh, you know, there's so much more to a bite from one of those than just the tissue loss. Yeah, you know. Um, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. Well, just cause we're on the topic of the, the new juice, has anyone tried the Pan-African, the Sub-Saharan stuff 
on a microlepidata group like uh, uh, microlepidata or angadiensis or any like the Middle Eastern stuff? Have they tested it or no? Not the pan, just okay. the, the, the mena. Right, but I'm saying, but you said that the atrothaspis antivenom is, antivenom oh, is oh, only oh, in. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, like has someone in the pan. Okay. Yeah. What I'm saying, has someone tried the Pan-African on a microlepidata bite, even though it's not part of that clade? No. Okay. Not okay. to my knowledge. Okay. Hopefully no one has to. I'll say you could be the first guy, Phil. Dude, shot in space. Dude, I would love to have just a big Engadiensis in like a big arid display. Like, oh, that would be awesome. I digress. Sorry. It would be excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so before we get into the stiletto stuff, though, I was very curious because last time we had you on, you had mentioned that you were helping with some uh, collection on atheris venoms because there was supposed to be some paper coming out about those. Has that yep. been released? It has not been released yet. Okay. Um, they're still throwing around a name for it. They're still finishing all the venom essays and everything like that. Um, you know, a lot of times, like... <laughs> It's kind of funny. We're not supposed to talk about it, but I don't even give a shit anymore. We did this huge thing for National Geographic and like for the print magazine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been three and a half years and it's not released yet. You know, some of this stuff just takes years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. You know, the scientific papers, it makes sense. But, you know, an article for a magazine... You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, they did better pre-planning their stuff for the magazines than we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were like, oh, the deadline. We're we're releasing an issue in two weeks. Okay, we got half a magazine. We got to fill up. Phil, let's find some people. <laughs> right. Said right. Nat Geo's like, yep, we're gonna release this in about four years. So when you see the next Olympics are happening, uh, be on the lookout. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. And then the funny thing is, you know, you go through all the work with them and their photographers and stuff are absolutely fantastic people. We worked with a guy out of uh, Brazil um, and he came up several times over those years. Um, but it's like you don't even know if you're, those images are going to end up in the article. Like <laughs> You just right, right. you go through all this work and you, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. But it's just part of helping, you know, publications like that do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. At least it's coming out, you know. And the, and then it's funny with like my family and shit like that, you know, they sit there and they're like, when's that article coming out, eh? And it's like, <laughs> I fucking I don't I don't know. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. He forgets that it's even coming out. And he's like, what article? Yeah, right. <laughs> when will then be now? Soon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> That's good, man. Yeah, I was just super curious about that that Atheris article because I'm I'm very anxious to to read that at some point. One thing I can say, and I I don't think I said this the last time we spoke, but it'll give people a whole new appreciation. The people that'll actually read the paper that keep Atheris it should give them a whole new level of respect for those snakes because their bites are treated like they're nothing. Yeah. And what's being seen in that venom, like I said, I can't say, but I'll tell you this. It's, it's serious. That is a very, very, very serious envenomation. Um, and so, you know, I mean, people treat squams like they're 
I, I don't know. I don't know a good analogy, but you know, like yeah. it's pretty much uh, a baby snake and it's not going to hurt you like an eyelash viper or something or a trimerceris, but they are toxic as hell and uh, people need to treat them with a lot more respect that that much I can say. Yeah. I we, almost... we changed the whole way we work with them now um, well, because That's crazy. of crazy. I feel like people treat Tremorosaurus and eyelash vipers almost more weary than they do with Atheris, which is shocking to me. Yeah, I, I know. And and like a Wegler eye bite is not going to, it probably won't even put you in the hospital. You know what yeah. I mean? But but I'll tell you some, you get a serious squam envenomation, um, you're, you're in for a serious, serious problem. Yeah. Um, there's a reason they use Echis antivenom to to treat those, right? See, but even gonna... then, I've heard that that's that's not a great solution, but it seems to do the job at least for the most part. Is that accurate? well? It yeah, I mean it. I don't know. It's like, uh, like it's not it's not it's ideal, but it's better than nothing, kind of thing. It, it helps with certain aspects of the venom, certain effects of the venom. Um, but it doesn't treat everything. So you're still doing, I use the word triage, but it's, it's not fucking triage, but you're, you're treating part of the bite, but then you have to manage the rest of the bite a totally different way, you know? Um, so it's multifaceted and, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a guy a couple of years ago that was, making its way around the internet and he had a, a come to God moment because he got bit by a squam. I believe the gentleman was in Germany and he got bit by a squam on the thumb of his right hand because he was being stupid and reached in the cage or something to like move a water bowl or something. And he had a small little blister and that was it. So he said, you know what? I want to document everything. So this time he actually, you know, messes with the animal with his hand and gets a legit bite in the thumb and he was hospitalized for like a week and he documented yep. everything but like why why do that like i, I can't i don't understand you're stupid yeah like, you're it just stupid. doesn't like i just don't understand and then looking he, for a logic in a place it doesn't exist yeah and, and he didn't he didn't take into consideration like his body's already yes he has antibodies to a certain extent but his body's already gone through that trauma with that particular species how does he know he's not going to have a completely adverse reaction again Exactly. How does uh, he know he's not going to be allergic to the venom the next right. day? Right. Uh, yeah. People anyway. are so goddamn stupid. I could just scream. We get yeah, it, man. It's wild. We get it. It's funny, too, because with squams and I guess some of that smaller stuff, too, uh, you know, like pygmy rattlesnakes, I think are a good example. It's like, yeah, you know, their yield, I think, is a big barrier for a lot of a lot of bigger issues. And if those snakes were twice the size they were, it would be a very, very different situation and people would be oh, treating yeah. them very differently but because yeah, it's, it's, it's like little... boega if yeah. boega had a decent venom delivery system holy shit yeah you know that would be even my big female serious. cyania she's she's big enough to where it's like i don't even want to find out yeah that ain't a small snake like not happening yeah i get it i get it crazy man I love so, I love Atheris. Yeah, cool hell snake. of a group, man. Of all hell time. of a group. 
and you didn't get the, the new book, right? You didn't get that one yet? I haven't yet. I need to. Okay. So I was waiting for my new uh, Scott and Ty book to get in the mail, which was delivered to my parents' house today. Nice. So I got to go pick that up. And uh, once I get that, I'll, I'll put in for the uh, the new Atheris book and I'll, I'll be that guinea pig and see how it is. Because if you go to uh, Edition Chimera's website, it's super weird. Like, you have normally, to buy it from his website or you have to email him and buy it. Well, like, well no, no, like, like, yeah. So, so none of the other uh, like distributor or dealers of Edition Chimera have the book, which is not that big a deal. I bought plenty of books from them directly, but it's weird because when you look at a standard, either black cover or white cover Edition Chimera, it says like the, name of the book, like whatever they named it, it'll have like the author's names on there. It'll have Edition Chimera on the front. Well, for the Atheris book, it's just a black screen or a black cover with yep. a squam. That's it. Yep. There's no writing which I thought was really weird. So I don't imagine if that's just a, a bad photo for the website, like they use the wrong photo for the website and the book's going to look completely different or if that's really how it is. I mean, it could be cool. Who knows? But it looks good. Send me that Chlorecus. Let me get it. It's yours <laughs> if you want it. It's yours if you want it. I'm like, I'll be honest, I, I was kind of bummed. I was like, man, I really hope it doesn't turn green. I really it hope it doesn't turn green. green. Dude, it didn't shed and it turned green. Like over the course of 24 hours, like I walk in the room, I was like, where is he? I'm like looking in the container. I'm like, oh my God, he's green. What the hell? <laughs> damn it. Uh, damn it. I mean, you saw that snake, dude. That snake was neon yellow. Just yep. like that overnight. Yeah. Uh, so back on track. How are we gonna how are we gonna skin this pig? Where do we want to start? First, I, I don't I mean stilettos. That's a that's a weird little group. And if if people aren't familiar, they're these little African they're like their own sort of family and everything, right? They're not so considered they any lapid, they're not a no, they're their own what family. are they? Atract aspidae. yes, Atract aspidae, yes. Same thing. <laughs> yes. There's weird little little snakes in Africa that that look kind of like your if you mixed uh, like a burrowing python and a and a Mexican black king together. Yeah, yeah. Stubby it, little dorky yeah. looking things, but beneath that that cute, unassuming facade, there is just hell <laughs> to be unleashed. And uh, they don't, so they, they, they've been deemed by a lot of people as like the unpinnable snake because instead of uh, striking in sort of the typical manner of like forward mouth open, they kind of just slip that fang out under the uh, top lip there and just jab you with it uh, kind of sideways. And uh, that's why they call them stiletto snakes. So I believe. Yeah. And, and, and from what I've been told, Bites really, really, really suck. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound like no one's died. Has anybody died from one? Yeah, there's been a lot of fatalities, actually. Has there really? Yeah. Yeah, m not as many as people probably make out to be, but there's been, and especially with the microlipidata clade, like all the uh, Egypt through Israel and the Saudi Peninsula, those are the ones that really really mess you up uh, they have also referred to them as the long glanded ones because yeah. the venom gland is typically at least a th the first third of the body um 
but there has been fatalities from a lot of sub-Saharan stuff. But from what I gather, and maybe Nathaniel can jump in too, is a lot of them was like, oh, I got, because they also call them sidestabbing snakes. So they'll say, oh, I got bit by a sidestabbing snake. Well, meanwhile, it wasn't, it was like a baby puff adder and they didn't realize, you know? Right. So. Right. <clears throat> I mean, I know that like uh, through the range of Atrectaspis irregularis, I mean, they're so commonly mistaken for African house snakes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Especially that all that that the corner that right angle of Africa where you've got uh, like Benin and Ghana and Togo and all the even down into like the Congo and like Liberia they have like all those really nice jet black house snakes and mm-hmm. you go to pick that thing up and it just whoosh, whoosh, knifes you. Oof. Yeah, didn't we show the video a while back of the one doing the like the the spinning with the yeah like it, it got so worked up that jumps and spun in his little bun and then they're just they're weird snakes man (laughs) they don't work they don't work physiologically like a normal snake they're they're just bizarre yeah man but we recently got some and so we got one as much as we've as much as we've talked about them as of late i was like we should just straight up do a stiletto episode and because like I said, I don't know of anybody else who really works with them in any like major capacity. And, you know, I think Nathaniel might be the only, only one I know of that, that has any amount of them. And, and has yeah, done I think, I think you, I think you're right. I think Nathaniel, you, you've got probably the largest collection in captivity in North America. I can say that. Uh, yeah. Something like 28 of them. Yeah. It's pretty good, man. Pretty good. Yeah. And they're, they're they're terrible. <laughs> They're fucking snakes on the planet. All right, so I got I got a, like a laundry list of questions, right? But I won't necessarily bombard you with all of them. Uh, but I was gonna say is, do you want to go into like the nitty gritty of the ones you have and milking and husbandry and that kind of thing, or do you want to? How do you want to quarterback this? Oh, I guess whatever way you guys would like, you know. Not that anyone's um, gonna keep them, aside from you two. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I was thinking about this with how many have been imported lately. How many people are gonna get them and not realize they're fossorial, and you're never gonna fucking really see it. And yep. uh, and also getting it to feed. Um, that's gonna be you know the other thing that people yeah. are gonna have and trouble I feel with. Like- and I feel like with the one that I got now, and we'll I got I uploaded some pictures so we can show some pictures and stuff too. Um, I don't know if you can see us. I know we're doing audio only, but yep, yep, you, I can see you. Okay, perfect. So um, so we'll throw the the pictures up in a minute. But I got lucky because when I worked at Strictly many many moons ago, we was we used to get uh, Bibroni from South Africa, and uh, I would literally <clears throat> throw in a live fuzzy, and it would just stab it and eat it. And mm-hmm. that was like almost all of them. And I was like, this is, this is fantastic. This is cake. This is it's great. wild. And that's not the case with any of the other species. <laughs> no. So, yeah. Uh, so what, let's do this. So you've got multiple species or you only have irregularis? We're only working with irregularis right now. Okay. And is that uh, by choice because of pharmaceutical things? Or is that because they were the easiest ones to, to acquire or what? It was basically because that's what there's demand for. Um, okay. And the first ones I ever got, the first stilettos I ever kept were irregularis. And 
it just so happened that that's what the pharmaceutical companies were interested in. Um, so it just worked to continue to expand our collection with them. Um, but, uh, you know, if other ones come in, I'm going to buy them up, you know, yeah. just because I, I love the family. I, the, the snakes fascinate me. I hate them with a passion, <laughs> but they fascinate me. I get it, bro. Yeah, I mean, I in the in the grand scheme of of venomous and keeping them like these things are are like a like a Yugo with like a souped up engine under the hood, but you wouldn't notice because it's like all rusted out and and gross and old. But it, damn it's the it, ultimate if sleeper. That thing doesn't hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's like your 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 crazy ants. It's your crazy ants old beat up Astro Star minivan. <laughs> but then but then the minute you put it into drive you realize that it has a z06 engine in the hood you know yeah like god god forbid you try and like change a water bowl at night holy shit <laughs> yeah i mean what's your been it's been your experience with them phil in terms of dealing with them and, and keeping them so i like i said we had Bibroni from south africa a very long time ago and very unassuming, very placid. We we didn't keep them long because I mean I think the longest I ever had them when I was working at Strictly was probably maybe one or two months, and we just kept them on Cypress mulch or the water bowl, and like they're in a rack, they're they're dark, like whatever. And I really didn't interact with them because at the time I, I didn't appreciate them the way I appreciate them now. And I had a room with hundreds of other snakes I got to take care of, so I didn't get to enjoy yeah. them in a hobbyist capacity like I do now. Now the one that I have now, during daylight. It's very much a like slow motion. You had mentioned Mexican Black King. It's like very crates. much, yeah. It's very similar in terms of the temperament with with a crate. Where during the day, it's kind of like a king snake that just doesn't want to be touched. Like just leave me alone. I'm just gonna keep burrowing myself. But at nighttime, different. I will. It's uh, it's game on. Yeah, it's game on. And I, I was going to be stupid and try and provoke it to get a threat display but i realized that that is a stupid idea it's it's i know what it's capable of i don't need to physically see it do it i need to i need to keep this animal calm and relaxed so that i can build up my husbandry and then many moons later if i want to try it nah, go for it you know what i mean because we all want to see like the full potential but at the same time i'm not going to put myself in harm's way and i'm not going to excessively stress the animal so i have not yet seen it do any kind of pinwheeling or like flipping in the air um one time i was working in the room at like nine o'clock at night and i lifted up i have a piece of cork flat in there so i use hemostats to pick up the cork flat and it got spooked and it like did a full 360 real quick but it didn't levitate like we've seen them do you know what i mean um but shy other than that i, I leave them alone man especially at night i just it's not worth it no. So, but Nathaniel, you've seen the threat displays copious amounts of times, right? Oh yeah, my favorite is the the pecking. Um, the pe I, where they I want to see the pecking. Bury oh. their snout to the ground and expose their venom glands, and just do 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 do, do like in a circle. Um, yeah. it's it's really 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 cool. Um, see, are they doing that in their enclosure? Or are they doing it like on the milking table? They do it on the milking table. Okay. Never in their enclosure. Okay. That's so cool, man. 
just for so people can kind of get an idea. I mean, if we, if we have a time to show the video, we'll, we'll try and pull it up. I know the Escabla Snakebite Foundation, they posted some videos of them doing pinwheels and levitating and stuff. But and Nathaniel, correct me if I'm mistaken, but basically they will arch the first third of their body very similar to a colubrid showing the side of its neck, kind of like yes. an Asian rat snake. So they're yes. gonna they're gonna bow that first third. They touch their nose to the ground, and it's then proceed like... to rapidly tap to make like yes. a drumming sound. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Mm. And have yours ever done the pinwheel in the air thing? Um, they've never really levitated. Um, okay. To be honest, um, I don't really give them the chance to. Yeah. You yeah. know, we we bring over the to basically kind of go over it, we bring the tub over um, to the extraction table and then hook them out. And usually they start doing the pecking. Um, and then I just grab them with it's the glove cool. right okay. away. I, I'm just like, I'm not going to deal with your bullshit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you're not, you, you're hooking them out of the enclosure, putting them on the table, and then you have your hex armor and you're just, just physically restraining them with your, with your hex armor gloved hand. Correct. And what okay. I do is, so I hold them with the hex armor in my left hand, and then um, I hold the extraction vessel with the right hand and rub their face. And With, and, with, the, with uh, the end of the extractor? Yeah. Okay. And so the end of the vessel, and then they'll start sidestabbing it. Um, wow. And uh, we usually get about two to three drops of fang. You know, we have to do a fang at a time, obviously. Um, because of how they bite, but um, or envenomate, I should say. But yeah, yeah. you know, um, we do so let, that. Let me ask this real quick while we're on that topic. Now, I've heard multiple conflicting stories of how certain species have a favorited side. That's true. Okay, That's and then at the true. same time, I've also heard a rumor that they're incapable or seldom, if not ever, use both fangs at the same time correct the only time okay. i've ever seen one do that is if you put a pile of live pinks in you know okay smorgasbord th yep they'll go in and they'll sidestab everything left right left right left right really and they kill the and they kill everything and then they eat like a third of it wow Wow. So, you so know, now, but but, let me ask you this is that are they are they switchblading the left then closing it then switchblading the right or are they opening both fangs at the same time and just sweeping back and I forth think like it's a, one like at a time. Head? But okay. I think it's one at a time but it's tough to see. Okay. You know, um especially with some of the smaller uh specimens, you know, they're going so fast left right left right because they just kill everything. Um yeah. They're vicious, man. Vicious little animals. It, it's That's crazy. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So do you know the locality of your um, your particular group? Uh, yeah, it's most... I got to try to think. I, I figured you'd ask me this. and <laughs> I mean, country of origin is cool, but you know, I don't expect you to know exactly which river valley or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, a lot of it's... Uh, a lot of it's Ghana, I believe. Okay. Um, if I remember correctly, I've got it all documented. 
I'm just terrible at remembering that shit. No, I get it. Dude, Absolutely terrible. Hundreds and hundreds of animals. I can expect you to remember all of it, you know? But yeah, I've seen that that there's been a lot of areas, especially in West Africa, where the obviously the locals have their own opinion of it, but even the collectors, the collectors are apprehensive to catch the snakes, whether it be for science or for export or whatever, because of the intense amount of folklore associated with the animal or not even folklore, they don't, just, they don't want to do it. Yeah. They, they flat out don't want to do it. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, you can't blame them because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lack of knowledge, you know what I mean? But at the same time, when you've had six family members and they all got stabbed, like, why would you want to catch it? You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The thing I've noticed though, is a lot of, uh, I get a lot of videos from exporters and shit like that. And, uh, a lot of them use a, a long pair of tweezers, you know, to handle them. And they'll just, yeah. they're gentle with them, mm-hmm. but they'll use the tweezers and hold them, you know, right behind the head or the first third, you know, to manipulate them and get them in the bags and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I've never personally tried it because I trust my dexterity more than I trust a pair of tweezers. Sure. If you know what I sure. mean? Um, Absolutely. I want to be as gentle with that animal as possible, but, um, you know, the interesting thing too, is they're robust animals. Um, you know, you look at a lot of other fossorial snakes, you look at crates, you look at, uh, at my you know, they're, they're pretty fragile. They really are, but Atrect Aspis, I mean, they're just, they're bulldozers, man. They're, they can, they can take a hit. And deliver one. Yeah, I I find at least with the one because obviously I'm way more observant with the one that I have now than with any of the ones I've worked with in the past, and it's pretty interesting because when I move the decor in the enclosure to visually see the animal, it's kind of I don't want to say deflated, but it's very relaxed because it doesn't have a reason to be alert. You know what I mean? Right. Right, And then the minute I use, like I use a neonate hook just because I want to be slow and smooth and as least amount of touch on the animal itself. So like I use a a venom life neonate hook and the minute the hook touches it, it instantly tightens up and almost inflates. And it has that um, almost like an espitalapse, like that, that very tight muscular fossorial snake. And I just, it's so interesting how they just instantly just real quick they just tighten up and they go okay what am i doing what's my next move you know and then once they realize that i'm scooping it up and placing it in another container then it kind of just goes back to being mellow mm-hmm. so. you know i tried i tried uh we exclusively use get hooked equipment at m toxins um mm-hmm. and that's because they custom make equipment for us um you know that's specific to venom labs and uh and they're good dudes but yeah. um uh i tried stoney's poly hooks the small yeah, ones you can't uh with atract aspis can't you know it, thinking man. that the temperature might yeah. be initiating that type of behavior it made no goddamn difference uh yeah. whatsoever they still tensed up they still had their normal attitude um so it's just something bothers them man something touches them they just, they freak. 
Yeah. Well, well I, I feel mean, like... it kind of makes sense because if you think about it being fossorial, I mean, their vision is probably not great. Um, I'm assuming if they're anything like Micrurus, like they, they can't really dilate their pupils like other snakes can that are more out in the open. So I'm sure they're just, they're much more sensitive to that kind of thing. I would think. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And they're, I mean, their eyes are tiny. Yeah. I mean, tiny compared to their head ratio, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the coolest things about that family is how understudied they are. Oh yeah. And I like to see what I'm really enjoying and, and I hope to enjoy in the future are more private keepers keeping them because, you know, what we do in a lab is not normal. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You know, the private keeper is, is more focused on breeding behavior and more focused on, you know, husbandry from a more naturalistic standpoint. And um, I hope we learn a lot more about them, you know, uh, yeah. because they're just so understudied. It's such a bizarre group, too, I, I, in in the context of other African species, you know, where you have things that occupy the ground, the trees, everything else that are that are still very different from from stilettos. But stilettos are like literally one of a kind. Like it's such a it's yeah. just such a bizarre group. Like, I don't even know if they're egg layers or if they're live bears. I'm assuming they're egg layers. They're egg layers. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, like the behaviors alone. There's just you don't see that with with yeah. it was stuff. it was funny we were shooting uh we were shooting video for the uh, African Snakebite Institute um over here and Ray Morgan that made the Venom interviews was here and uh, he got a ton of video of of my stiletto colony um, this was a long time ago I mean this was when the lab was in an outbuilding. Um, and we just designed it to look like Africa. We built this huge <laughs> stage and we're, you know, him and Jeffrey Fobb and I from Venom One are moving mambas into it and boom slings and we're making it look like sub-Saharan Africa and whatever, all this kind of shit. And um, Ray just goes, that is the most bizarre goddamn snake I've ever seen in my life and I hate it. <laughs> because <laughs> they you know they don't sit still either for yeah, oh, yeah. i want or... to know that as far as working them once they're out and stuff are they like surely they don't sit still we we had a guy so there's a well-known herp photographer i won't use his name that is going to be at tinley next weekend and he's sent me a couple messages like begging to come and photograph our stilettos and i'm like <laughs> You, you could be the best photographer in the world. You're going to have a shit time trying to get a decent photo of one. You know, you can get the in situ photos, but if you want to see a threat display or you want to see it act like a stiletto snake, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I can confidently say that with mine, I have not a lot of substrate, but enough for the animal to completely bury itself. And, Mm -hmm every chance it has it will and and this is part of one of the reasons why i'm so enthusiastic about the genus is that despite them having perceived horrible vision and very acute very very acute vision because the eyes are so tiny it knows exactly where it wants to go and every single little nook and cranny like like the crevices of an english muffin it knows exactly which spot it's going to start digging in and if i don't scoop it 
relatively quickly to, to remove it from the enclosure, it automatically goes right into the next the next little divot. And it's just, yeah, it's, like, it's fascinating. Like most fossorial snakes, you know, they're super shy. Yeah. Super shy. Um, but, uh, you know, we keep ours on a moistened paper towel with some sphagnum moss. Um, we have to keep their faces clean for mm-hmm. extraction and things like that. We just can't, you know, we get nice sheds uh, from them, you know. So that's how we kind of gauge our husbandry is just based on their sheds. Sure. Um, and uh, As long as they're eating and pooping, right? As long as they're eating and pooping. That's yep. all we care about. Yeah. And um, and producing good venom. And, you know, they, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so I don't get to see them. I get to see them pack it, like I said, and, and kind of try to burrow. But I think because there's not a substrate layer there, um, they stand their ground more. Oh, I'm sure. You know, um, because they just feel so exposed. But like I said, I don't give them much time to really get super stressed out. I try to just hook them out, grab them, be done with it, and get it over with. You know, it's like a mycurus. Mycurus extractions, you know, we want to keep it as quick and uh, unobtrusive as is humanly possible because those snakes are so goddamn fragile. Mm-hmm. So same thing with A-tract aspis. So then l- let me ask this. Um, so I've had the animal for, uh, it's probably, how long has it been, Smitty? At least three months, right? I don't know if it's been that long. I would think more like two. Okay. I could so... I, I gave him, like yeah, I uh, I put him in a, when I first got the animal, it sat in a, a sterilized container with about a, a quarter inch of water for probably about maybe two hours because I just want to make sure it's hydrated. And then I mm-hmm. put it in the enclosure and I left it alone for a solid 10 days. And then I went in there, I checked it. And I was like, oh, it's fully blue. It's going to shed. All right, great. I left it alone. It shed a perfect shed. Unfortunately, I wanted to save the shed so I could do a scale count, but it had mangled its shed into a little ball and it was all ruined and yeah, you know, so uh, I left him be for another, for the rest of that week. And then I threw in a live fuzzy just to kind of see what would happen. And that was a no, that was no go. And then I wound up doing a live pinky thinking maybe it was a size factor again, no go. And then my third feeding attempt was I took a Cordillas shed skin and stuffed it in the mouth of a frozen thawed pinky. And I didn't, I, I didn't attempt to tease feed or anything. I literally just left it right by his head, hoping maybe he would smell that lizard skin and go for it. Nothing. So <laughs> this morning I threw in a yellow chick wing, just the wing. And I left that in there. So I'll check tomorrow. But what would be your advice on getting the ball rolling with this animal eating? You know, one of the things it's interesting because like, uh, KRZ has had really good luck moving them into a separate enclosure okay. um, with nothing in it and just putting live pinkies in there. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you tried smaller, smaller options, Phil? Well, yeah. And I have tried like the pinky that I used. Yeah, well, the pinky that I used was actually a, a day old blood pink. It was alive. Okay. But it's, I put it in its enclosure where it could burrow and dig and get away from that invasive animal mm-hmm. right or that that nuisance of that's in its cage so i have not tried putting it in something else so maybe that is the key it's a thought i mean okay. it's something to try 
you know, I'll be very upfront. We tube feed the Bill Haas formula to all of ours. Okay. Um, And it is cheating. cheating. Yeah. It's cheating. But, uh, but we get great health out of our specimens. Um, So, you know, um, but I've had them take, like I said, if before we went live, you know, put a pile of pinks in there. Okay. You have live pinks and let it go crazy and see what it does too. Okay. Um, you know, that's cheap enough to try and sure, you know, um, but it's and something you think I should do it in the enclosure. Or do you think I should take it out in a, like a, a blacked out container for a couple hours? I would try both. Okay. We'll try both. Just, just to get it feeding, you know, they don't, the one nice thing is they don't have a super fast metabolism. Mm-hmm. um that i've ever noticed um so you know i think you have you have time and you have options yeah and we were talking about before the show is that it hasn't eaten it's been all these weeks and it doesn't look like it's lost a speck of weight so yep. yeah yeah okay yeah so i, I wouldn't a... i wouldn't be as concerned okay yeah. so my first my first thoughts and i mean granted i'm just a guy that got conjures corns and other random bullshit uh I remember, I think there was an episode uh, of Crocodile Hunter at one point where he saw one, and it was probably staged, but it was under like a mat of hay. And I'm assuming, I mean, that we know that they're like nest raiders, like burrow, burrow raiders, where they just, they go and find a nest of something and they eat whatever's inside that they want until they're done. So I'm wondering if a similar situation like that, where you have like a mat of something with pinkies under it and then the snake in there in the separate container okay. trying that like you know those cocoa like the, the basket liners that they have that are made yeah. of coconut husk sure sure getting one of those and and putting some pinkies under that or something well and um, that's what i tried with with the live prey is i have that piece of cork flat and dude mm-hmm. that snake lives under that cork flat so i would literally lift the cork flat up put the live prey at him put the cork flat back and then leave it and then a couple days later it's there's a there's a dead rodent you know because then i also wonder too scent wise because you think about if mom's in and out of that nest there's probably going to be the scent of you know urine of an adult mouse or rodent and other signs that it is a nest that is like a frequented spot so i wonder if that scent has any any part in it and then maybe just the pinkies aren't enough like there has to be there has to sure. be more signs that it is actually a nest and it is a viable option for, for finding food. Sure. I could see that. I also, you know, trying to do my homework, <clears throat> trying to do my homework and figure out exactly what species this is. And we were talking about this previously about, I, I, I want to say that it's Dahomeyensis, but Nathaniel's informing me that the odds of it being that are probably very, very slim. Um, one of the things I was reading is the food is almost uh what's the word i'm looking for the animals eat endemic area species so like for example there are certain there are certain populations of um man now i'm drawing locality specific food locality specific food right so like let's say there's a, a cornuta in this one particular section of ghana and they only eat a skink from that area but right but the same species 200 miles away eats the skink that lives in that area you know what i mean mm-hmm. so who the hell knows <laughs> you know what i mean 
Or, I mean, but, maybe if you can get your hands on rat, something like small, as small as possible rat pups, I don't know if it could take one or not. No, it's way too small to eat that. Way too small. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Realistically, if it was a, if it was a colubrid, like a king snake, I would be more than comfortable feeding it a, a large fuzzy mouse. That would be a, that would be a good meal for okay. it. Okay. So I don't know. For some reason, lizards just don't seem like that seems kind of like a dead end to me with those. What do you mean? Yeah, I would, I would agree. Have you thought about, uh, have you thought about, I know in, in Florida, it's fucked up with getting them, but, um, trying ASFs, you know, I haven't, but I know where I can get them. So yeah, I mean, there's places to get them there. So, um, you know, I would, I would try that as well. And, uh, you know, if if I was in your position, that's what I would try. Yeah, I've also and heard it, it could also just be a factor of that it just needs way more time to settle and stuff. Like they're that sensitive to to being in new sure in, new environments and stuff that it just takes them a very long time to to get acquainted with everything and comfortable. Yeah, uh, and I've I've caught him, uh, him or her. I don't even know yet. I, I didn't I didn't want to probe it because I just you haven't probed it. No, <clears throat> and uh, it's on my to do list. But they're so easy to handle. I know, right? Well I, well, I figure this is that uh, in my mind, I'm, I would probably have Henry come over because I'm not going to do it fucking by myself. That's for sure. Um, I would have Henry come over and I would tube the animal in a really long tube and then just hold it inverted and, and probe that way if I could. But uh, again, this is all hypothetical. I have to talk to professionals like Nathaniel first before I start doing anything crazy. Um, but I was actually going to ask is I've seen with um, uh, Bibroni in collections in africa where they do i guess it's called tunnel feeding where basically they have a tube that's Mm -hmm. opaque or like pvc or whatever they put the snake in one end of the tube they cap it and then they shove a live fuzzy in the other side and cap Mm -hmm. that and now the animal feels like it's underground and it's found this prey item and that's when it really deploys that that fossorial stabbing motion and, and it will eat in the tube so i've heard that as well Okay. And that that used to be a technique that the old school herp guys would use to get king cobras to eat rodents. Really? Um, yes. Okay. Um, basically, give them no out unless they unless they took yeah. the food. Um, but uh, that would be something fascinating to try. And and I really, uh, I really ask you like document your shit because yeah. yeah. I would love to learn from your experiences as well, you sure, know. Sure. Um, yeah, and I like I said, if, I've got it. I've got it easy. I just shove a catheter down their throat. And, yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty sure there's photos online. I, I got to dig them up, but there's photos from somebody documenting it to to a certain extent, and you could clearly see it's Bibroni, and it's it's definitely lower lower Africa. It's got the cream belly with the really pointed face, yeah, and it's a clear tube. And like it's like three or four different pictures, and like first it's the snake in the tube, then it's the snake stabbing the prey, then it's the snake like mangling it because it can't get the prey off of the fang, and then the next one is like halfway down the snake's mouth. Yep. So well, I wonder if it's just as easy as taking a tube like PVC with a cap on the end of it, putting a fuzzy in that, and then just laying that in the cage with the open end. Yeah. And then maybe yeah. I'm wondering too if putting some bedding like used bedding from whoever you get your rodents from in there with it. Like I said, to, to get that sort of nesting smell sure. in there, seeing if that would have any sort of effect on it too, if that would sort yeah. of 
entice it to to investigate that tunnel more. I'd, sure, sure. Absolutely. I don't know. That's that's it's fun to think about. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's go to this. We'd mentioned eggs prior. Have you seen copulation or produced any? I have not. Okay. The plan is to try. Okay. Um, more just for fun. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. we want to just document and see what we can do. Um, the thing that hinders us are our quotas, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the next time more come in, we'll get them and quarantine them and go through the motions. And then we're going to try to, we're going to try to do that. It's one of our goals for 2023 is to try to produce them. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's super cool, man. Super cool. As far as talk about bites. I want to, yeah. Cause I'm curious about the, the venom. Do we know, is there a lot of variation in that between the different species? Is it all fairly similar? Seraphotoxins. Yep. Seraphotoxins, metalloproteinases. It's, uh, it's just digestive. It's just pre-digestive enzymes like crazy. And that's what's, you know, that's what took Mike's thumb was all the digestive proteins in there. Um, and uh, I don't know how I got away without losing a finger. I, 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 I still don't know. Um, Leslie Boyer, when I had my bite, uh, Dr. Leslie Boyer was in Africa and was, was in sub-Saharan Africa and was talking to uh, Jean-Philippe Chapeau, another very well-known French mm-hmm. snake bite doctor. Um, and they said to massage the area heavily to disperse uh, the venom out of the, out of the tissues. And so one thing that they had to do for the two days I was in ICU was massage my finger, uh, nonstop. Um, I imagine that was agonizing. It was, it was the most painful experience of my life and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, (laughs) and so anyway, excuse me. Um, yeah, the, the, massaging it, dispersing it through the tissue. I didn't lose anything. Um, and I was, I feel very fortunate because it was a serious envenomation. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine because of what it is, they can't give you like any yeah, kind of cortisone. Well, well, I was thinking like you, you can't like use Novocaine or cortisone or something like numb it because they need to, you need to give them a response as to what's it feeling like or if what it's it would doing. Even do yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And um, to put it in perspective, so um, are you guys familiar with what Dilaudid is? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what they had to do for my bite was go into my carotid artery, run a line directly into my heart, and they were pumping Dilaudid into my heart directly. Um, because the pain was so excruciating. Um, there's a, there's a picture, um, I should send it to you guys. There's a picture of me in the hospital with the line in my neck, um, getting delauded with a big thumbs up with my swollen fucking hand. Any pictures you want to share on the show, if you just send it to the Facebook, to send it to me in Facebook messenger and we can throw it up right now. If, if you want, if you want. 
hold on because I was just talking to Justin. I'll send it over to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it uh, it was uh, <laughs> that was a rough one. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was now, Jake's experience with his eight dog fight. He's like, dude, they couldn't give me enough morphine. Like, it would not. Like, morphine didn't do jack shit for the pain. It, was, it just, I mean, completely yeah. unrelated in terms of like you know the snake and the bite and stuff. But he said he's like morphine was just laughable. It didn't do anything. It was... Well, the thing that the thing that uh, that happened and it happens so often in snake bite. Justin, you should have that photo, by the way. Um, the thing that happened was, you know, my blood coagulopathy went to shit. It really? was water. It was water. Wow. Um, you know, like the equivalency of a Bothrops bite. And um, no kidding. Uh, you know, that was the thing that was so scary was, you know, they flat out said, if you get in a car accident and hit your head on the way home, you're going to yeah. hemorrhage out. Wow. So it was uh it was just nuts. Absolutely nuts. There you go. But yeah, you can see my hand all swollen up and look at that lovely artwork. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looks like a kid drawing a great white shark. <laughs> yeah, that was my uh that was my helper at the time, uh my intern marking my hand for the swelling. Um it should have been a tattoo is what it should have been. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I ended up I ended up getting that snake's uh profile tattooed on my arm. So, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. We gotta we gotta see that tattoo one day. Let me let me ask you this. It's on the, his ass. Um, <laughs> it's on, yeah. <laughs> now, not to uh not to be insulting, but you, you are a bigger guy like me. Do mm-hmm. you think that, that had a a benefit opposed to someone like Mike's size? I think so. Um, I really think so. And I have a, I don't even want to say this, but I have a belief that breathing in as much venom and as much everything that I have throughout the past 12 years, I've probably got some, some antibodies going for me. Absolutely, I wouldn't Um, doubt it for a second. Yeah, you know, but I, I can't prove it, and and I said that once to Doctor Boyer, and she just laughed in my face, and <laughs> so you know she's an actual, you know, genius, and I'm a stupid venom extractor, but I, I do think it, uh, I think it made a difference. Um, oh yeah, didn't af- didn't affect the pain, but could possibly explain how I didn't lose my fingertip or my whole finger. Yeah, yeah, because Mike's, I mean, Mike's was a completely different story. Like his, you you see pictures, his thumb, it's literally just bone on the end of it. Like it literally melted everything down to the bone. And that's yeah. 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 Now, let me ask you this, because we're on the topic of 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 micro immunity. Have you ever developed an allergen from spitters or no? Oh, God. Zebra spitter. If I got bit by a zebra spitter uh, today. I would be dead instantly. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. It's bad. And, and one of the things that's, that's my own fault. Um, and I was warned about it by my uh, mentor in the venom industry. Um, you know, use a fume hood, you know, don't measure your venoms raw, you know, don't, don't do it. You know, you're breathing that shit in. And, you know, I was young and dumb and full of cum and I knew everything. 
Yep. And I did it that way. And it made me, it's, it makes me very ill. If I, even if I do, like we do a ton of uh, Crotalis adamantius because it's in some of the South American mixtures of mm-hmm. antivenom that we okay. do because it has great efficacy uh, for I was, bites. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, you, you think about some of those neotropical rattlesnakes and all that kind of shit, like they're primarily neurotoxic, but everything else in them, you know, you can neutralize with something like an adamantius or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So um, anyways, like even if I'm weighing out adamantius venom I'll, I'll and I don't use the hood, um, I'm so sick, you know, it's like gagging and vomiting and watery eyes and i really i really was an idiot um and i'm the first to admit it so yeah i have a lot of allergy okay yeah because i i have not yet developed and i say yet knock on wood um an allergen especially the spitter stuff and i mean i've been keeping spitters since 2006 2005 something like that no 2006 and I remember my late mentor always telling me because he didn't keep big lapids and he would tell me, he's like, hey, I saw the guys at the shop scraping the venom off the glass with a razor. He's like, don't ever do that. You know, don't don't ever scrape. Always dilute with water or cleaner or whatever and wipe it away. And I've I've stuck to that. And I just know so many people that aren't that aren't a, a venom guy like you. You know, you're dealing with raw powdered forms like it's to be somewhat expected to a certain degree. But normal hobbyists just scraping and breathing in the dust and i've just i've tried to avoid that you know some of us have real problems <laughs> <laughs> you uh, know we use uh, i don't know uh oh it off and oh, say, uh, say that one more time brother you we, you cut out for a oh minute. sorry we use uh can you hear me yeah you're yeah. good now okay yeah we use uh we use vinegar and water to take it off. Okay. And that works Excellent. well. Like a 50 yeah. 50 mix? Yeah, roughly. Okay. Does that cool. just disintegrate those proteins? What was what, that? So, does that just like disintegrate the proteins and stuff, or is it? Just... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's so great. I would okay. never thought of that. But yeah, we, you know, and they talk about, you know, in captivity. Uh, red spitters being the worst for people. I, I don't I don't get that because you know when I pull a red spitter out of the uh, uh, tub to do extractions, I won't wear a, a mask. But if I'm doing a zebra spitter, I have to wear a mask. Oh yeah. Um, or I'm for some reason that particular species of Naya just destroys me. Yeah, I think Fry he's stupid allergic to a lot of spitters too. If I'm not mistaken, that's why we do all the spitters for him. No, <laughs> there you Cause go. Because he, he, he can't he can't handle it. You know, he just can't. And it's because he was stupid like I was. You sure. know, um, you know, like I said, we knew better when we were kids. So, you know, yeah, now I'll be fine. Yeah. Wow, man, that's wild. Uh, what was the circumstances of your stiletto bite? These stupid AirPods. 
Cups. Can you say that again? Sorry. What was the, the circumstances of your stiletto bite? Um, <laughs> so I basically pushed my hand onto the fang, uh, being not, not intentionally reckless or anything, but I was rushed to get the extractions done. And, uh, I had put the snake on the table and it was in a defensive mode. And, uh, I went in with one hand to grab it. The other hand I had still sitting there and I basically just pushed my right hand right onto the fang. Um, the snake wasn't even trying to sideswipe. It wasn't trying to do anything. The fangs were, the fang was out. Um, but it wasn't trying to envenomate me at all. Um, you know, it's any time a venom extractor is bitten, it's because we're freaking stupid. We did something stupid. There was a chain of events that, that, that it's like Carl Barton when he got bit in the face by an Eastern diamondback, you know, someone had spilled water on the floor he's walking with the snake towards the table, the extraction table slips on the water. The snake goes flying forward, lands on the table. He falls forward. It lunges and bites towards him. Uh, it strikes at him and bites him in the freaking gums. You know, I mean, I'd never even heard of, us, of that. When did that happen? Oh, that was a long time ago. Really? Yeah. That's um, and that's not to embarrass Carl. We love Carl, but it's uh, yeah, Car- Carl's the man. You know, wow. it, it, it's like my black mamba bite. You know, mamba's. Uh, I say bite, but you know what happened was you know mambas scrunch their nose when they envenomate, and I uh, I'm left-handed. I grab the snake with my left hand, and it's biting uh, the vessel, envenomating the vessel, and I use my right index finger to help hold the nose down. And uh, it just helps with the release of the venom. And that particular day, I lifted my left hand before my right hand and lacerated my finger with its fang. I mean, that's not the snake's fault. That's me being an idiot and going too fast. And, uh, you know, I got a good amount of venom and needed antivenom for the first time in my life. So, um, you know, it's always our fault when we're bitten. At the same time, though, it sounds like that polylebis bite went about as smoothly as as no, it did. It could have gone. It, I mean, yeah, yeah, it did. It, it could have been really bad. Um, so, yeah, and but anyways, it's it's always it's like Jim Harrison with one of his Bothrops bites. His tube had a fracture in it. He used it anyway. The snake cracked the tube the rest of the way. Got him on the arm. I don't remember the exact specifics. I'm sure him and Kristen will correct me if they listen to this. But uh, but anyway, um, you know, and he was fucked for a long time. Yeah. From yeah. that animation. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you do. I mean, we extract 75 snakes a day and you're going to fuck up eventually. Mm-hmm. So statistically, anyways. yeah, you're going to at some point, you know, you're going to. Yeah gonna hit something and uh forgive me if i'm out of line asking but do you, which anti-venom do they give you for the mama bite i got uh inasan pan-african excellent it so only I... took it only took four vials and wow. uh we did two vials um initially 
and I was good. Mitosis had uh, turned around. I was in good shape, um, but Dr. Boyer recommended two additional vials because I had it. Right. Um, and so uh, I ended up getting four and wow. getting through that bite. I, I ended up, I was hospitalized at like 3 p.m. or something like that, and I ended up um, home and having dinner with my family by like 6.30 or 7. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> And that's, but that's and, that's all about being prepared, right? And yeah. I'm not going to get on some soapbox and talk about anti-venom and how every private keeper sure, should sure. have it. Because I don't believe every private keeper should have it. I think private keepers should get together and have anti-venom banks and do it that way. The way Venom 1 started is what I personally believe. You know, Jim and Kristen want everybody that owns a Monaco Cobra to have 10 vials in their freezer or in their fridge. That's not realistic. You know, get get a co-op together, share the cost of the serum, even though it is cheap, share the cost of it, and uh, help have each other's backs is yeah. what makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. um, but anyways, it was that preparedness. You know, I was to the hospital sure. in 15 minutes uh, from when Tosis started. Yeah, how quickly were you symptomatic with that? Uh, it took... Well, be, again, because I'm an idiot asshole, I uh, I waited. I because Carl Barton said this once. He's like, you know, when you're bitten, you're you're in this level of shock and disbelief, mm -hmm. you know. And um, did I get any venom? Did I not get any venom? I know how much venom that snake gives normally. Do I do I panic? Do I not even worry? And I went to my office and and uh, kind of relaxed for a little bit. And then I started to lose ability to control my speech and my tongue and my mm -hmm. eyelids started getting droopy. And, you know, and of course, you know, Dr. Boyer and Jeff Fobb and everyone were just like, you're a fucking idiot. The minute this happened, you should have been at the hospital getting the antivenom and they're right. Um, but I'm a stubborn German man and I do whatever the fuck I want. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So well, and not to mention, you also have like this false sense of I just milked it. How much right. more could it really have? How much more? Like not realizing that, you know, a gram kills an elephant, you know? Right. So, oh, geez. But I also think it's interesting how you got four vials of of, you know, Innocent. And I wonder, like, how many think about how many vials of Sav P that would have took. Oh, it would have taken way more. Yeah, it would have been the 15, why 20 is, vials. That? It's just the way it works, man. Just that it's the way it works. Yeah. It's, the Mexicans make the best anti-venom in the world. Um, and that's it's not just Innocent, it's uh be a clone. Um, they make the best anti-venoms, and it's because they revolutionized the industry. And um it's are, we, why it's are, they using, are they inoculating horses? Like, what are they using? No, they're inoculating horses, but it's what they do with the molecule that makes it. It's everything they do that's proprietary that I'm not oh, even okay. allowed to know yeah. um, after the fact. Um, but, you know, they're all FAB2 um, antivenoms. Um, so they're safe from a lot of an potential anaphylaxis from horse allergy and things like that. But um, there's just something in their 
purification process in what they're doing that makes a better serum. And, and I think personally it's because they put stuff in there that's not on the label and, you know, um, we can't say what that is, but they'll Classic put, Mexican pharmacies. <laughs> exactly. They'll put yeah. extra species in there or and genera that maybe aren't from the region. Sure. But do a much better job of neutralizing specifics, yeah. you know. Um, and, and so you just get a better serum, a way yeah. better serum. Now, let me just say this is I know, and again, if, if this is, I don't want to say it's a conflict of interest. I don't know your, your, your business with them and whatnot, but there was actually just a medical release from Kenya warning people in East Africa to not use Inosan products against uh, Analifera because, and certain Haji species, because apparently there was multiple individuals that got bit like just farm workers and stuff and it 20 30 vials of inosan and it didn't do anything mm. so it's tough because i mean there's so many factors like was it given properly was it you know what was the was there any well and kenya kenya is in a very interesting political situation where they're trying to produce their own serum very interesting so they have a venom lab that they've opened there. Um, they're creating their own serum uh, in conjunction with the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. Um, and it's very political. Okay. And in Kenya, they were very loyal to Vin's product uh, sure. out of India. Sure. Um, and so it's a bit bizarre. It, my question would be not if it's true or not, but is it politically motivated or is it, you know, did yeah. the Innocent product really work that poorly? If we do a lot of Analifera, if I was envenomated by an Analifera, I would be using Innocent product. End of story. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe it. Um, but that's just my take on it. Sure. Um, and I mean, who, who knows, man? You know, but the proof is in the pudding, even with you. You know what I mean? That, 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 you know, Innocent makes a hell of a product and it, you don't got to refrigerate it. Exactly. You, you know? know, the other thing that's interesting is when I was over there, you know, we saw Eckes envenomations. It took only three vials to save wow. people's lives from an wow. Eckes. So, you know, like I said, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, very powerful stuff. Uh, speaking of Eckes, have you in any of your pharmaceutical endeavors done any work with the zinc stuff with the Eckes? No. Have you have you heard about this where they're doing like in excess levels of zinc and it curbs like localized side effects and like localized trauma? I'll be honest, I've not even heard about it. Yeah. So I guess there's a bunch of studies being done in both East Africa and West Africa where if the if it's the right if it's the right echis at the right time and it's the right person and they get to the hospital at the right time, they basically, as they're mixing the antivenin, they dose them with like super huge levels of zinc and something about the zinc in the bloodstream slows down or, or prohibits the prohibits certain properties of the echis venom from connecting and doing its job. 
and that basically extends it. So let's say you had 20, 30 minutes to get anti-venom before you were had permanent damage or, or semi-permanent damage. The zinc gives you like an extra three, four hours in theory. That's that's fascinating. Like yeah. I'd like to see that and talk to Fry about it. Yeah, I got. I'll, um, I'll find one of the because there's like three or four papers that were coming out. I'll, I'll grab one of them. I'll send it to you. It's super interesting, but it's specifically to to African species of echis. Okay. Yeah, I would be fascinated to read that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll find it. Actually, I'm pretty sure Henry is the one who sent it to me, so I'll I'll, I'll see if he still has it. So. Oh man. So speaking of pharmaceutical stuff, so with the irregularis venom that you're you know, gathering, is this for anti-venom specifically, or is there also like, are, is pharmaceutical stuff looking at like the, the serifotoxins in use for modern medicine? Like what, what is the, what's it's, one of the goals? A lot of it is, is just evolutionary research. Okay. That's what a ton of it is. Um, there's a ton of different groups that want to look at that venom um, and, and try to see what they can learn from it. Um, right now, I'm not aware of anything that I guess is for any type of, you know, human use or benefit. Um, it's just all, how did we get to this point from an sure. evolutionary standpoint? Yeah. Very cool. Well, and that was what was so funny. We did the huge, so when I got envenomated by the irregularis, it was in the middle of doing the paper for Brian Fry that uh, that showed that no anti-venom at the time could neutralize it. Wow. So it was hilarious because I I knew there was nothing anybody could do. It was, yeah. it was, it was just, okay, you're fucked. And that's about <laughs> the end of it. Please suffer yeah. silently in your hospital. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Please. Uh, embrace the knife fight. <laughs> yeah. So how oh, long man. did it take for the, the pain to finally subside? Did you, did you have any lasting effects afterwards? About a day and a half. And uh, this could be just me. Uh, you know, there's no scientific, you know, explanation or proof for it. But it gets very tender in the cold. Uh, that finger still gets very, and you know, we're talking Wisconsin cold. So negative 20, negative 40, um, that finger freezes up and just feels grab, like shit. Grab my strong um, hand. Yeah. It's, it's grab my, <laughs> my germs. I'll dip my hand in some mashed potatoes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Serve them up for it. So you. now, do you feel like, in terms of like sensory, you're saying how cold it gets and and you know residual pain. Do you think it's more sensitive neurologically now than it was pre-bite? Oh or God, you, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like but it again, on nerves. That's crazy. Uh, again, it's you know, it's uh, it could be all in my head, you know. But I'm how many years removed from that envenomation and still it's like, oh, my fucking middle finger is locking up and my fingertip goes numb. Well, the only thing that's happened to that finger ever in my life was an A-tract aspis bite. Yeah. So. Wild. Hmm. I don't know. It's so cool, man. I mean, it's fucked up and I'm sorry, but it's incredible, you know. (laughs) Oh, man. 
Well, can I show the picture of my little guy and you tell me what you think? <laughs> Phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> Phrasing. Yeah, please show me show me your little guy. I'd love to give an opinion. <laughs> it's it's rounded and stubby. <laughs> <laughs> it's bigger around than it is long. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Lanta. Rate my irregularities. <laughs> Rate my tuna can. <laughs> All right. So these pictures are over the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> don't Jordan mind the weird growth. Don't mind the lush vegetation. <laughs> there was a spot at one point, but it's gone now. Ignore yeah, that. Right? All right, so that is bad lighting. It's not it's normally brown. Fascinatingly bland. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Fuck you, bud. <laughs> All right. That's not it. That's Casey. Hey, that's Casey Cannon. So this is uh, this is probably like a week or two ago. Um, you guys seen this? Okay. Cool, yeah. bro. <laughs> Look, man, I'm not gonna let you piss in my Cheerios. All right, these snakes are awesome. Look at that. It does. It might as well not even have eyes. Oh God. So I have to. <laughs> all right. So there's a paper from 2011 from Moyer and Jackson that goes over the physical attributes of the different species of Acrophaspus. So I got to get that paper. I haven't got it yet. And basically through. Uh, Head scalation and the separation of um, infralabial scales, as well as like counting belly scales and, and dorsal scales like normal, you can kind of gauge what species you've got. So I've been trying to get close-up cell phone pictures of his head. I like the and, tail tip. And I mean, this this picture here is actually probably what he looks like most often. Um, <laughs> and the tail is very very pointed but still yet very very blunt and i've looked at like it's a uh, girl <laughs> well so that that was my question is is there any kind of sexual dimorphism in your experience yes oh really okay and that looks that looks like a girl to me all right so let's look at this let me try and zoom in best i can so the vent is literally like right there that's a girl brah Okay, now are we talking the tail length at like bitus? Yes. Okay, so a tail that's twice that length from the vent would be a male. Yeah, let me, when you send me some of that info we talked about, I'll take yeah. some pictures too. I okay, just awesome. did, I just did our colony yesterday. Wait, what day is it? No, I, yeah, I did our colony yesterday, um, but I'll go in there and I'll, send some pictures of the differences um but i would say that's a female okay all right awesome and now looking at these photos do you still think it's irregularis yes okay okay i i, I wouldn't say look i am not i just going by experience is what i is why i say that i i'm i could be completely wrong but to me that looks like an irregularis Zoom in. Yeah, there you go. You can see the eye right there. Yep. And that's the other thing, too, is I, I've been trying to see, and 
it's so hard because like you were saying earlier about photos that that subocular scale right there there's like four or five different main scalations that i've noticed from reading that it's if it has a split scale it could be one of these three snakes if it has an extra large scale that bleeds down into the next level of eye scales it could be one of these four snakes so like yeah, you can kind of narrow it down isn't that true for like uh uh broad what the fuck are they broadly eye. yeah the broadly eye have uh that scalation type they, of difference from yeah, squamagera Broadly, I also seem to have larger eyes that are a little more forward on the on the face, if I'm not mistaken, from from what Nippers showed me pictures of his. That just looks irregularis to me. But okay. again, again, I mean, you know, you get a good shed, you do a scale count, you'll know for sure. Yeah. Um, unless yeah, you want to really, handle it. Yeah. No, definitely going to use the shed. The uh, I really want to get that 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 Moyer and Jackson paper, because it's funny, the, um, uh, you know, before the show, we were talking about um, the, the, the biblical text, as I like to call it, which is uh, Weinstein and Worrell's book, you know, Burrowing Asps and Their Kin. And in the book, it literally says, if you want to learn more about how to visually identify them, get Moyer and Jackson's paper from 2011, <laughs> which was kind of a letdown, you know, but I get it, man. You can't put, you can't put everything in it, you know? So... Let me see if I got a right. good closer picture of the face. So, so unassuming and so yeah. just Yeah, you can see the eye there and then the one scale behind it. Things look stupid as hell, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, man, but and dude, they, the do. Iridescence... They, look, they look derpy. Oh, they're super derpy. They're adorable. But the the iridescence in these photos does not do it justice. I mean it, it gives a rainbow bow a run for its money. Yeah, see, zooming in, man, it's so hard. And every single headshot is blurry because it's moving. They never stop moving. Oh. He's probably confused by the flash. Probably. So now let me ask you this. You say irregularis. Does this look like all of your irregularis, or is there different yes. variations of it? I mean, I've seen irregularis be kind of a uh a dusty brown but typically that that black uh pigmentation you know uh the black to blue uh is typically irregularis um and and we you know we have to be pretty goddamn specific on our species to sell their venom right so but again i am not the atract aspis expert you know, um, I just happen to have a lot of them. Well, I'm actually going to, uh, a, uh, the, the individual we were talking about prior to the show sent me a video of some that I'm actually going to look at on Wednesday. So let me pull up that video and, uh, you, you can tell me what you think. Cause these look much, much more Brown. I know the video, the Brown ones on the left. And then to the right is the, another darker one. Okay. Yeah. You so you got No, I mean video. pull it pull it pull it up okay. so they can right. see Hang it. On. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
it uh, it may take a couple seconds because it's a video, so just bear with me. No. Yeah, fuck this. <laughs> Yo, how funny would that be? Nadeo's like, fuck this, and just signs <laughs> off. <laughs> your your video took too long. <laughs> I'm not waiting like this. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's only nine seconds, but uh, here, let's throw this up there. That's what she said. That is what she said. All right. So there's the one on the left. Yeah, yeah which is brown are... in coloration. Yeah. And see, this one's still brown in coloration, but it's it's got a slightly different... Slightly different. That's yeah, that's the same. Who am I kidding? Shade of brown. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly. It's a milk chocolate versus a dark chocolate. Yeah, exactly. But then you also come to think, like, is that jungle skin that is going to shed off, and it's actually right. going to have that that rich that rich slate blue underneath, or is it actually brown? So, I don't know. I mean the but, the thing is, is you know, eventually you'll be able to figure it out, but. It, all of that aside, you know, you should be fucking proud that you're keeping these, that you've gotten two good sheds out of it. Its body weight is maintaining. I mean, regardless of what species it is, you know, you're doing it right by that snake. So, well, thank you. yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Like coming from you, it means a lot, man. I really appreciate that. What's your favorite species of bitis and why is it Cornuta? Whoa, whoa, dude. Zeropaga for the win, bro. Zeropaga for the win. And anyone who Cornuta. Keeps, anyone who keeps Schneider Eye is just a Cerasis Vipera elitist. There, I said. Atropos are pretty good. Yeah, Atropos are awesome. Zeropaga, man. The desert. Ugh, I love it. This is a trash genus. Trash. <laughs> oh, God. If only you weren't you, I would be shaming <laughs> you right now. No, Bittis are great. I just, uh, You're they're, they're, <laughs> well, they're, they're tough. Uh, I don't want to, I, I shouldn't make it sound like I hate all these animals. I, I absolutely adore them. That's why I work with them. But, um, you know, some of the bitters are really tough to keep going on a venom line. Oh, yeah. you know, um, and, and stress, so, right? oh, it's all stress. Yeah. Um, Nasocornis. Oh my God! Don't even oh, get me started. I bet. You know, um, and so we're constantly changing what we do at the lab to accommodate those guys um, and make them more comfortable, lower the stress levels. Uh, everything and so yeah I mean I could bitch about every genus but uh, but those guys are except monocle cobras because <laughs> the only thing that can kill them is a nuclear holocaust <laughs> yeah yeah that's good <laughs> haven't they literally had like froze one and <coughs> thawed it out and it came back to life probably probably yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard uh, Kristen at one point talking about Either I read it or there was a video about it. Like literally, a monocle had been frozen and then it had been thawed out and it was still alive. Like it came back alive. Just ridiculous. It wouldn't surprise me. They're hateful little bastards. <laughs> yeah. 
What's your but, least favorite? To, to like to like to extract from or to just keep? Both. Uh, to keep Nasacornis, uh, for sure. Um, because you know the truth of, about having a venom lab. I'll go on a little fucking diatribe for a minute. Do it. You know <laughs> Do it. we don't we don't want to see those animals die. Right. You know, uh, it's it's a living thing, and 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 I won't get too into it, but it's like, you know, we want to provide the best quality of life possible because that affects the quality of the venom. And, um, and so, and plus it's a living thing. Um, so, you know, with, uh, with those guys, it's the most frustrating, but the shittiest snake to extract from our Eastern diamondbacks, hands down. Just there's crash around and trip. No, there's no snake that, you know, I'm not saying from an intelligence standpoint, I'm saying from, a brute strength, come at me, motherfucker! Yeah, it, it's big Eastern Diamondbacks. You know, I'll take the neotropical rattlesnakes and all that kind of shit any day of the week. It's the big Easterns that are six plus feet that are mm-hmm. on our venom line that you know they they just muscle up and it's like fucking come at me, you yeah. know and. uh we use a press pad, you know, a special tool. Actually, Carl and I are the only ones that use one um, that Get Hooked makes us. Um, it's just a pillow on a stick, basically. But that lets us uh, be able to restrain them decently. But it's a it's a big snake with a huge venom yield. And I don't care that they're not that toxic. They can pump enough in you. I mean, look at what happened to Joe Wazalewski with his uh, adamantius envenomation that happened, it was a long time ago, but I mean, the fucker was hospitalized, if I remember correctly, for almost two weeks Wow! from that adamantius bite. And it was something like 70 or 80 vials of antivenom. Yeah. It's wild. Wild. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of someone, whether it be a herper or just an innocent bystander, getting hit from adamantius and not having major long-term effects for sure for sure yeah it's just i don't get scared like you can't be scared as a venom extractor you just have to be confident but and show that animal respect but goddamn, those things when it's adamantius week i'm just like god damn it here we go again you know I'll take a pissed off black mamba any day of the week over a over a temperamental eastern for sure. I can imagine. And is so that like it, it seems like rhinos aren't as popular as they used to be in terms of people. They're not. Them. Yeah, yeah, people aren't keeping them and I think the reason is is because you know, I I, I hate saying their husbandry is hard because it's not hard. It's, it's just, uh, it's specific. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people go in, they buy these fricking imports and, uh, you know, they pay a decent price for them. And then the fucking thing dies three months later and they're either going to buy another one or they're going to just stop keeping them. Yeah. You know, um, but that's a big reason, you know, cause people don't do their goddamn research. 
sure. and, and look into anything that they're keeping. They just, I saw it at a fucking reptile expo. It looked cool. So I brought it home. Yeah. You know, I, I know, I, I, I know plenty of people like that. I think it also comes down to people have kept West African gaboons. They've kept an assortment of puffs from whatever locality. Right. And I feel like those two species are way more forgiving and husbandry than almost any of the other bitters, right? I'm not going to say they're bulletproof, but they're way more forgiving. And I feel like the people that have problems with, with rhinos is either they're overthinking it and they, it gets water blisters or it gets a respiratory infection because they, they're they trying to, to yeah, they care it to death yeah. or they neglect it thinking, oh, it's a bitters. It'll be fine. I'll just give it water next week. And that's the problem is that it, it, it's not a gaboon. It's not a puff. It has its own niche set of requirements albeit not difficult ones but its own set Just in my means, opinion it, it, there's less margin for error right right yeah i mean I, you, oh go ahead am i wrong and and like it seemed to me like early mid 2000s they were way more popular and it seems like over the years there's just not nearly as many people keeping them as there used to be i don't think that many are getting imported like they used to either yeah I don't think the farms are, are, or the, excuse me, the exporters, whether they be it farmed or not, are bringing in the number of babies. Because, like, I mean, we used to get it underground. Like, they'd say, okay, we're getting a shipment of rhino vipers. And, like, you'd expect it to be, like, maybe 10 adults. And it's not. It's, like, 60 to 100 babies. And, like, that's just not happening anymore. So Right. I mean, we, we try to gauge it. You know, we're happy that that ours are feeding and everything like that. But like, you know, certain snakes we have to put on a 21 to 30 day extraction schedule. Uh, we moved our, our, our rhinos to a, a 30 day and um, we're having good success now, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's got, it, it just has to be a hands-off species for a venom lab. Anyway, um, you know, we soak them, we feed them, and we pretty much just leave them alone. Yeah. Makes sense. Are you doing anything with any protobothrops or any of the like Asian sort of arboreal-ish stuff? Nothing right now. Uh, we did a ton uh, for papers for fry. Um, so we were doing um, Mucosquamatra. We were doing uh, Elegans. We were doing a, a ton of them. And... Uh, Actually, it was really sad. When we moved locations, we lost a ton of our protobothrops. Oh. Um, so, but um, we had already filled what we needed to do. But yeah, we lost those those snakes. Um, do you think which it had anything to do with really sad? Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that they're more of a montane species, and you're keeping a lot of lowland African stuff? Was that was that a contributing factor? You think? This was all during the move, which was the dead of winter. And, you know, we were moving 500 snakes. Well, at that time, it was probably more like 350 or 400 snakes in negative 20 degree weather in the best way we possibly could. Um, you know, it, it's tough to say which what, what was a factor. But um, at that time, too, we lost uh, a lot of my curse, too um oh, in that move um which is always hard because they're not the easiest snakes to get and uh 
And so, yeah, it's uh, it sucks. No one, no one that owns a Venom Lab likes to talk about the loss that happens, but it yeah. it does. It's it's part of it's part of doing it, and um, you have to accept it to a certain extent. You know, I mean, like the stuff that that we keep that are our ambassadors and we use for education and we do that. I mean, these are animals we've had for decades. Um, you know, some venom line animals, I mean, we're lucky if we get three years out of them, you know, on certain ones, yeah. um, especially Akis. Akis are, they do horrible on a venom line. But yeah, um, that's kind of surprising considering how prolific they are naturally. You'd think they'd be pretty pretty bulletproof for that kind of kind of stuff well i think they're they're bulletproof and forgive me if i'm speaking out of line i feel like they're bulletproof in nature in terms of their uh, their husbandry their living their their stress level but when you increase that stress so much because of all the human interaction i imagine that it's just a, an upward battle it really is and you can take you know our echis that are are feeding regularly and everything like that you handle them too much in a extraction environment. They're just done. They, they just fold. Um, and that, you know, really the only person that produces a lot of captive echis are Al Koritz and fricking uh, Michael Vessio. Yep. You know, those are the people that produce the most captive echis. And even some of the captive specimens we've gotten, they've been the longest lived. Um, we got some, uh, uh, Natus, uh, Ceruchii, uh, from really? Al, Al Koritz, um, that have been on the Venom line for like six or seven years now. Wow. Are they, do you know what locality? Mm -mm. Oh, that's incredible. I had one that was given to me as a gift and, uh, this was probably 15 years ago. It was a baby and, uh, it got to the United States under not good circumstances if you catch my drift yep. and uh i only had it for a short time and we i wound up feeding it crickets and it actually it lived for a few months on crickets and then it expired but i always attributed it to the fact of how small it was and the means in which it got to the united states was not right conducive to its living <laughs> if you right. catch my drift so yeah the fact that, that we have someone producing them and that you're actually working with it that, that's fantastic henry said they're pakistani what? Okay. Okay. Oh, you sent owls for Pakistan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. That would make yeah. sense. Yeah. That's that's yeah. What, that's the location, the locality that mine was. But uh, but yeah, the specimens from Al have been outstanding. Um, we've gotten a, a fair amount of specimens from Vessio uh, that do great. Um, but when you need the volume, you know, uh, of specimens, I mean, we try to keep. 20 to 40 of every species of echis we can get our hands on at a time. So they're mostly wild caught and mm -hmm. we do what we can. Um, but you know, it can be, it can be a rough go with those so what's, guys. What's the, when you have to quarantine stuff like that, that's brought in, like how long is it from the time you receive it to the time that you're actually, it's on the, on the line and in that regular rotation? We try to do 60 days, which is what the WHO requires. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the things about venom extraction that people don't think about is like, 
with each individual, even after 60 days, you're still not safe. And, um, you know, we have multiple animals biting the same membrane, you know, and people don't think about that. And it's like, uh, you can't change membranes for every single snake you extract from. You just can't. Um, but, uh, that's not the most sanitary thing you can do either, you know? Um, and that can lead to problems. So it's just one of those industries where, you know, it's something you have to kind of accept, um, even though it's not easy, especially our Kings, we get very, very attached to our King Cobras and, um, you know, losing one of those is like losing a member of the family mm-hmm. to us. Um, just because of their personalities and yeah, stuff man, it's, like that. It's a different animal. It's a totally different animal. Yeah. Um, I actually have a funny King Cobra story if you want to yeah. hear it. Always. So, so what we do or what I do at the lab is progressively work people up because the first, the first venomous snake I ever handled was a nine and a half foot black mama. That was my first venomous snake I ever handled. Um, it was the wrong way to go about things. It would, I don't need to give a disclaimer. It was just wrong, but that was how I started because that and PNG Taipans were the two main types of snakes that my mentor was keeping at the time. So for me, it was like, I didn't even handle a crotalid until way after I was handling Taipans and Mambas. Um, but what I do at the lab is I start out with a gentle progression, right? So we start out with cotton mouse and we work to copperheads and we work to Cretalis viridis and, and Atrox and Adamantius and we work our way up. Well, some of my staff are at the point where they're learning Kings and uh, we have a, a big space at the lab uh, when we're closed that we can use to, teach king cobras and if if a 12 or 14 foot male wants to charge you have plenty of room and it's it's one of those things about being a mentor where i was training this actually happened on uh on sunday night yesterday night um where we were we were hooking and i was teaching how to stop a charge and all this kind of stuff and uh the the gentleman was tailing it and it decided to come around and come at him (laughs) and he shot it because i'm right there you know to try to help mitigate anything because i have a policy at our lab and some might think it's wrong but i'll take a bite before i ever let one of my staff take a bite and and end a story i think as a mentor if you're going to teach people to be hands-on with these animals you have to accept that you're going to have to step in at some point in a shady situation. Of course. And this particular handler is excellent, very experienced, but whipped the King Cobra through my fucking legs. Oh man. Nine, nine and a half foot specimen. um, And it just went sailing between my legs (laughs) and it's, and he's almost in tears you know, and I'm sitting there going, you know, this is part of what it takes to be a mentor, you know, yeah. because people are going to fuck up and uh, you have to be ready for it. 
Now, sure. luckily, the snake wasn't. It, it's a very placid animal. It wasn't in any way uh, trying to hurt anybody or anything like that. Um, but yeah, that was a, a nice bit of excitement on a Sunday night yeah. uh, to have. And it's, it's a learning experience for both you and the, uh, the trainee. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty much. Which yeah, the learning experience for me was to beat him to death with a snake hook. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. Oh yeah. It's uh it's crazy oh. how you think about things in your mind and how you do things and how you want things to be done. And oftentimes it is difficult to translate that to another person and it, whether it be verbally or by physically showing them or whatever. And you got to have that in the back of your mind that they're not going to do it right. Or they're not going to do it the way that you instructed them to do it. And what's your contingency plan or what's your, what's your, your plan B, C, D, E, F, you know? So, you, like you, you have to be it is yeah. you have to be 10 steps ahead of him yeah. and uh like i said he felt absolutely terrible and this is someone that's been with me for a long time mm-hmm. uh who's a very competent handler a very safe handler sure but it's part of the learning process and yeah. um and uh yeah if you're gonna be there and you're gonna be there to protect them you know um <laughs> shit like that's gonna happen mm-hmm. yeah 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 that was always my thing and i i've mentioned it previously on other episodes and stuff like when i was keeping and i just had my atrox and a you know a copperhead but it's one of those things especially with the atrox where it's like if it's gonna spaz out let it do its thing like there's no you, there's no nothing saying you have to stop it and make sure it stays within the bucket or whatever like if it's gonna have a moment let it do its thing if you got the space you know like just yeah. So Let I so I I train my staff. I don't care if it takes you sixty seconds or sixty minutes to move that animal and do it safely. Yep. Take your time, and and I move very quickly. Um, in in our extraction procedures, I try to keep it to sixty seconds. Um, so that snake to the table, pinned, extracted from, returned to the tub, and. Um, Unless we're doing a venom show, of course, because then we're taking our time and showing mm-hmm. the snake to the public and all that kind of stuff from behind the glass. But, um, you know, in 60 seconds, that snake should be extracted from, have a clean tub, have a prey item, and have fresh water. End of story. And um, they watch me work that quickly. And I'm like, this is decades of experience. You yeah. know, you can't. Don't feel obligated. Like don't feel obligated to do that. Exactly. Take your time. And I've watched some interns starting out with, uh, we have some cotton mouse that are real fucking cotton mouse. (laughs) And, uh, nice. I'm, I'm like fiddle fuck with the snake, not fuck around with it, but fiddle fuck and let it tire out and take your time. Yeah. Because I don't care. Just, Get the snake safely into the can, replace its its uh, tub, feed it, put it back in. You know, um, and that's uh, that's something I I really try to preach to them. Yeah, you know, it's never a race, especially yeah. when you're working with mambas. It yeah. it's never a race. 
Yeah, and uh, one thing that we, me and Henry always told was, well, obviously we're not working a venom line, so time isn't necessarily of the essence, but come back later. You know, if this, if the animal's not feeling it and it's going bananas, come back later. Come back when it's more chill. Try another approach. Give yourself a break. You know, we have a we have a, a just over ten foot female black mamba, and she's one of the most challenging animals in the lab to handle as far as for extraction because she's smart enough. She knows when extraction is coming. Yeah, and um there are plenty of times that I have turned away doing that animal to wait until its attitude has changed. Sure. You know, it, it because it's not worth it to me to take an envenomation from that snake when I can just, I'll do a different black mamba. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just not worth it. And I wish more people worked with patience, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, I think people get such a just, key. Like, people get in this box where they feel like if, if this animal goes outside of this invisible sort of like perimeter that I have, like you panic where it's not like all of a sudden you don't feel like it's contained. You don't feel like it's under control, but it's one of those things where if you're in a room that has like the proper setup and stuff, yeah, it's okay. If it, if it zigs when it should have zagged, like just the thing is just remaining calm and like letting it do its thing. That was the, cause that Aatrox I had, man, that was a little, little firecracker man it wasn't they can be horrible yeah they can be absolute i would say in my experience personally that they are worse than bothrops you know like uh crotalis atrox can be worse than a bothrops to deal with yeah because the bothrops in a lot of cases will ride a hook or a double hook sure you know an atrox that's all pissed off is flipping itself around and fucking striking and everything yeah you know um, they can be terrors. So, yeah. Well, on a side note, are you doing anything with Heloderma? <laughs> yeah, we're extracting from them quite a bit. Um, the demand for the venom hasn't been there heavily, um, but we do quite a bit with them. Um, and we keep a good stockpile of their of their toxins. Because um, nice. they're we, doing a bunch of stuff with uh, uh, diabetes medicine, right? Yes, and there's one lab that just does heloderma that provides for that. Okay. Um, and uh, and so that's their focus. It's all they do. Um, but uh, we've done a little bit of stuff for research for it. Um, but uh, it's more for fun and education. You sure. know, like it's good to have the venom on the shelf, yeah. regardless. Um, but you know, the way we extract from them, um, lets people really see the teeth and, you know, really see the chewing motion and stuff like that. So people get a good lesson in, in their physiology as as far as venom, uh, delivery. Yeah, man. How many are you having to to extract from to get any sizable amount of venom you get a lot really yes if you're doing it right um you'll get quite a bit of venom and you guys are doing like the speculum in the mouth and then like the pipette thing no we uh we take a uh we use pilsner glasses because they're easiest to sterilize sure but we take a pilsner glass 
Um, and then we use uh, a hollow tube and uh, let them chew on that. And that way, with the hollow tube, um, some people don't use something hollow, but what we found is using something hollow, I get the venom out of the center of the tube and from the exterior. Oh, yeah. So whatever they're salivating that isn't going all the way through the grooves of the teeth because the teeth are into the tube. Mm-hmm. So we get t- what feels like twice the venom. Sure. Um, and uh, and it works out fantastic. I mean, it's like a rubber, like a rubber hose kind of thing. Yep. It's like, yep. Cat- like catheter tubing. No, oh, <laughs> it's <okay>. literally <laughs> sterilized automotive uh, radiator hose. Wow. <laughs> whatever works. Yeah, whatever works, man. That's crazy. Well, that's, awesome. that's always the funny thing. And that's the thing that goes back to to Bill Host and and my mentor is, you know, there's not purpose built shit for this industry. Yeah. You gotta find what works. I mean, you know, it's like for our King Cobras, our King Cobras are all tube fed, um, a snake eater diet that Bill and Jack Facene came up with. And, um, basically what we do, you know, we use cow milking hose, you know, as the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as the, the hose to deliver the food, uh, mm-hmm. down the esophagus. I mean, you just find what works best through trial and error and there's always a better way to do it. There's always, you know, we try to not be stuck in, in what Bill and Jack did forever. We try to do things in new and inventive ways. Um, but hey, you if, know. It, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you also think in terms of like the history of it, Host especially, I mean, he was sort of, he was the, the pioneer of it, wasn't he? Yeah, he like, was. He was the pioneer of sort of set the him. standard. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and he had a lot of success. And, you know, every animal on his venom line, this was something I asked Jack uh, when we first got to know each other that I never knew, was Bill Cannula fed every single snake on his venom line. Wow. Nothing got a rodent. Wow. Ever. And so Bill was doing, you know, weekly weights on the snakes and he was ever evolving his diet um for them and you know it uh he basically mastered it um so it's kind of interesting because we're to a point where we know if a snake comes in at so many grams we know exactly how much tube diet to give it wow mm-hmm. so based how did you think words, about if if he wasn't if he never did it or if you know facente never did it uh you know like how long would it have taken for for people to kind of figure it out yeah oh it, it'd be ridiculous yeah for sure people would still be shoving rodents down as far as venom lines go mm-hmm. shoving rodents down the fucking snake's throats yeah you know soaked in mirror in a, a, a mineral oil and massaged down Ugh. sounds delicious and like we yeah. said earlier, erotic. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just remember like b- before people really took on to the whole tube feeding thing, you know, talking about assist feeding and force feeding and just countless times people in my past that I don't associate with anymore or just people that you haven't talked to in forever. 
and literally taking like a small rat and just soaking it in mineral oil and then literally just massaging it down. And then I've seen it where they use an, an implement, like a snake probe to kind of force it. And I've seen, uh, bad mouth infections. I've seen, yeah. perf- I've seen perforated esophaguses, which is the worst thing ever. And that's so traumatic. Oh, and it's just not worth it. You know, it's, and that's, what's tough about tube feeding is selecting the right tube, selecting tube size, I should say, you know, selecting, uh, or figuring out the right depth to go, um, you know, learning, you know, I was pretty rough on some of my snakes, you know, while I was learning those methods. Yeah. And there's no way to learn. Yeah. But by doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel about popping and probing stuff, too. It's like you can watch all the videos you want, but until you get your hands on it and you just like obviously be gentle and obviously take your time. And if you if you're questioning something as you're doing it, then stop and come back to it. Same, you know, same thing as what we were talking about a few yeah. minutes ago, like that's the way I had to teach myself to, to probe and, and to pop some stuff is like, I'm going to be gentle as, as, as much as I can, but I got to like, this is something I, I, I need to, to know how to do, you know? Yeah. I think. Yeah. We got a, uh, a pretty good picture. I'm going to quick send it to you guys. Yeah. Here, if you want to send, send it to me on Facebook messenger, that way it's easier. Cause I'll just throw it up. I have the window open already. All right, I had to crop it quick. I know this is boring. No, you're good, man. It's what we do. I might have I to. I have to have the thumbs up pictures. My new uh, lock screen wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh. Yeah, it went to you because I had the window open. Yeah, that's fine. That's I cool. Send it. I Sorry. Save it and send it to Phil. Yeah, it's easy. Why does it have a sea urchin in its... Uh... Oh, my. Actually, that's an echidna. I lied. Oh, my. Look at this. Look at this. Isn't that a cool picture? That's a fantastic photo. Hold on. Let's throw this up here. Is that a viridus? That is a king. Oh, okay. All right. Look at the teeth. <laughs> so, how the hell did you pop a king? An adult king ish. A big king, not a small yeah. king. It yeah. is a big king. Um, was it like six so, foot? What was that? Was it like six foot? Oh, no, bigger than that. that oh, really? Was okay. 10. Okay. 10-ish, well, nine and a half, between nine and a half and 10 feet. Um, We were actually feeding it, and uh, I always have uh, our lab manager uh, holding the back of the snake, and he's he's like, as I'm putting the cannula down and, and, uh, and doing the feeding, and he's like, Jesus Christ, it just jizzed the fuck all over. <laughs> oh, my God, stop. You're turning it on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, of course, it emptied its bowels, uh, 
before that and then shot that out. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of people don't get to see King's hemipenes. So, I mean, you always see them in animals that are like preserved or dead. You don't ever see it. I've yeah. never had, had one pop one out like that. Yeah, man. Very cool. And it's interesting to see the actual hemipenal spines. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it, like, I, I hate to get graphic, but were they rigid? Did, did you get to touch them or no? Was it just kind of like, no, a we didn't, thing? we didn't touch them at all. Okay. Yeah. Just because of cleanliness and whatever. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is going back to our whole Atractaspis conversations uh, in the Weinstein and Warhol book, it actually talks about studies where they have, uh, obviously they're all, you know, museum specimens, but they were comparing the length of the hemipenal spines in the tapering of the actual hemipene itself and matching it up to grooves in the female's entry to the oviducts. For sure. And, yeah. And saying how certain species, like that's part of the way that they were differentiating species was do these hemipenal spines. The yeah. The key and lock. You got mm -hmm. it. Wow. Crazy, man. I've never yeah, seen that. I just thought that'd be cool to share with you guys. Yeah. Sorry. Absolutely. It's a little nerdy. Dude, that's what Sorry, we do, man. This is, yeah, this is it. This is Sarlacc pit. I can see Boba Fett falling into it right now. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Well, on that note, we're at the two-hour mark, gentlemen. Is there anything else we wanted to cover? What's your favorite Bothrop species and why is it <laughs> It's Asper, baby. Asper all the way. Oh, those big... That neck. That neck just gets me. Ugh. They're terrors. They're absolute terrors. But they're fun. <laughs> oh, man. You guys and your South American shit, man. I just I can't get behind it. I will say this. Henry and I got to play with a Micura Cernamensis for a while. And that I've contemplated trying to work with. But... I just feel like the, the whole fish diet and aquatic and uh, not for me. So we still have ours. We're two and a half years in with them now. Nice, I don't, nice. I don't think is an exaggeration. That's awesome. Um, and one thing I did that worked out really well. So we had like a, a fucking tub and where the heat pad is, we had warm water in there and then cool water. And we let, and then of course dry between there. And we let the snake thermal regulate through the water, how it wanted to. And we That's had awesome. really good success. Yeah. But cool. again, one, uh, one reptile person said we fucking cheat because they're tube fed as well. But no, that's, I, I want the snake to live. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And so. actually, I thought about that too. Is I mean, I'm in South Florida. Henry's in South Florida. We don't really worry about like fish tank heaters and stuff like that. But I imagine that it would be difficult to do a snake with an, an in water aquarium heater. You'd have to do something like a heat pad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I've, yeah, seen, like, I've seen some of the people that do like uh, some of the like sea crates and stuff over in Asia where they have, 
the because it's all salt water they have the heating element in the sump so that way there's no actual heating element in the tank where the snake is so but i feel like that's a lot of extra stuff for the micros you know yeah i mean i found that with those guys going as basic as possible is the best route um just keep it as simple as you possibly can um and they do great they do great which is kind if of you, ironic if, if you'd think it would be sort of the opposite. But yeah. if you just if you decide to get some the next time they come in, just hit me up and I'll give yeah. you info on what I did. I'm not like I said, I'm not saying it's hundred percent the right way, but we've had success. So that's awesome, man. That's the way to do it. Little Darth Maul snakes. I love it. <laughs> oh, they're awesome. <laughs> oh, the Mike, well, man. Mike Ruris and Microroides rabbit hole is vast and deep dude there's so many of them it's ridiculous it's ridiculous but there's only one that matters and that's fulvius <laughs> fulvius is awesome can you tell me why i can never see a live one dude i've been down there with all the quote-unquote great field herpers I've kept my curse for a long time. I have yet to see one in the wild. They're everywhere but, here where I live, but I can only I only see dead ones. But yet every time I'm down in Florida, I see eastern diamondbacks and everyone tells me that's rare as shit to see no, all these easterns. I, I would say that Fulvius is way rarer than an eastern. Cuz it's cuz it's all right place right time, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean shit, I I've been herp- I've been Jack. herping Florida twenty years, man, and I've never found one. I've had plenty of people call me up and say, Hey, I put it in a bucket for you. What do you want me to do with it? And I'm like, Great. Oh, Thanks. I mean you go to P and Cody's, you walk around the front yard and they got them just crawling around. Well, I, not when I was there. I blame Cody. That is pro- <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Probably Fuck Cody. <laughs> I saw when Cody signs on to the live show, he he when he uses Facebook, it doesn't have his name, it just says Facebook user. So he's one of the only people that does that. So whenever I see Facebook user in the chat, I'm like, uh oh, fucking Bartolini's spying. So <laughs> uh, one of the few good dudes. Yeah. Well, he's gonna listen to this later, and he's gonna he's gonna text us and say, "I I fucking let that thing go on purpose for you guys." <laughs> uh, no, but I yeah. like I live on an island and in, in here in in South Carolina, and there's a ton of corals, but I can never seem to see a live one. I will see them road pizza all day long, but. I don't know. I need to ask Jack what the like when the the prime time is and and. Why am I not looking then? Ask Preston Tomborello. That kid can find him in, he could find a coral snake in Wisconsin. Well, <laughs> Preston is a poop face because he sends me on wild goose chases. And he does, he, and I don't think he listens to the show, which he should. And so that he could hear me call him a poop face on air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say this though Pre- Preston is, is, if he says go X, Y, and Z, I assume it's a goose chase. But when he's with me, the fucking kid presents. He says, oh, I think there's going to be some rat snakes in those rocks right there. And then, boom, rat snake. Oh, I think there's going to be a pygmy over in those bushes. Boom, pygmy. He's got the gift, man. He's he got the gift. Them. He's got the gift. The <laughs> snake, the gift. The, for me, the snake could be crawling over my fucking shoe and I'd miss it. 
That's why I have to yeah. go with people yeah. like him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right. Witching hour. It is. Say our, say our thank yous and goodbyes. Correct. All right. It is time. It is time. This was episode 137 of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by Black Box Cages. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, blackboxcages.com. Get yourself a cage. Get yourself a rack. Everyone else is whack. And the fine people of the Pacific Northwest, the Gendra, the Piyujisan Pythons. Seriously, you get a cage or a rack from Black Box and you message them, you're actually going to hear back about your order and its status. You're not going to get abandoned like so many other companies seem to do. I was literally looking at Facebook comments and some of the other companies and stuff over the weekend just out of like some of the ads popped up on my feed. And people were literally like, I bought, I have a cage and I, I haven't, I don't know what the status is of it. I ordered it like six months ago. And I'm not even talking about some of the main companies. I'm talking about some of the other ones. It seems to be a, a running theme with a lot of the caging companies. You order something and then you never know when you're going to get it. Yeah. Not the case with Black Box. So. Yeah. That's my spiel. And the best packing and freight in North America. Hands down. Yes. Well, Nathaniel, where can people find you? And M Toxins. So they can find us at mtoxins.com. Um, and if there's questions or anything, we we love it. So feel free to contact us through the page. Also, uh, we have a Facebook and uh, an Instagram at mtoxins venom lab. So uh, yeah, you can come and berate us there, attack us in the comments. Um, you know, do it. <laughs> Tell us how we should be keeping all of our large uh, or or tiny bitus and, and giant seven foot enclosures with climbing trees and yes, you know yes yes because everyone we found in fucking Africa was under a log so by all means please come and tell me <laughs> yeah that's good what we're doing wrong no we we love to hear from people we love to hear from people so that's good man it's good. Really enjoyed it. It was a good show. Yeah. Great time, man. Great time. It was fun, and none of us pulled our dicks out. That's, so, yeah. Well, th- that's because it's from, like, the sternum up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not even wearing pants. He's been naked this entire time. Me- meanwhile, Nathaniel's not even on camera, so he's probably just nude the whole time. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe yes, maybe no. We'll never. Maybe know. I'm. Maybe I'm doing the Doritos, the Doritos and dog thing. You yeah. never know. <laughs> I thought I heard lapping in the background. <laughs> thank you, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always for, fun. Thanks for coming on some short notice too. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. We'll uh, be back Thursday. I think we're doing a Corn Stars episode. I'm not entirely sure. Still Sweet. figuring that out. But yeah. So everyone have a good evening. Thank you. We'll see y'all later.